Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician Dr. Robert Jackson, his wife Carlotta, and their daughter Hannah Miller, this program will help you understand that human beings are more than just physiology, that for people there's more than just diagnosis and treatment, and that in life there's more than just medicine for a cure. This is More Than Medicine, and the doctor is in. Welcome into More Than Medicine. My name is Hannah Miller. I'm here with my dad, Dr. Robert Jackson. And today we're going to talk about a subject that's a little sensitive in today's culture, but, but very prominent. I mean, it's being talked about every day by a lot of different folks. And that's the topic of prejudice and racism. And dad, you wanted to look at this biblically and kind of respond to that conversation biblically and really start off by telling your own story. So why don't you just take it away with telling us kind of uh, your story with this and your background? All right. Well, thank you, Ms. Hannah. And I thank our listeners for being there. My background is that I grew up in the lower part of the state of South Carolina. I grew up in Clarendon County, a little town of Manning. Uh, My hometown was 70% African American. My school system was segregated in the late 60s. And my high school uh, was 70 to 80% African American. Many of the students in my school system that were white abandoned the public school and went to private schools in my community that were entirely populated with white students. And it was a very touchy time, as it was all across the United Mm -hmm. States, when the schools were desegregated. My public school had a very smooth transition, I'm thankful to say. My father was a family doctor. Uh, The vast majority of his patients were black folks whom he loved and cared for, as a Christian doctor should. In my home, I never saw or heard any hint of prejudice or racism from my parents. And I think that myself and my brothers and sisters picked up on that very quickly and never felt any prejudice or animosity towards the black folks in our community. And in the summer times, I worked on the farm with my uncle. He had a very large farm and he had lots of black people that worked for him. And so every summer I worked with mostly black people, and they became my friends. And I worked hard with them every every day of every summer. And when I played football in high school or basketball, all the, the, the participants on the ball team were mostly black, black guys. They became my close friends. And so that was the milieu in which I, I grew up. And... Then I went to Clemson University, and it was a real radical change because suddenly I was in a university where there was 10,000 students, and almost all of them were white. There were several hundred black students, and they were all mostly athletes. And suddenly there were Asian students. There were students from India. And all of a sudden I saw dark-skinned students from India who had straight black hair. Now, dark-skinned people, in my experience, always had curly or kinky hair, Mm -hmm. like African-Americans. And here were dark-skinned people who had straight hair, very dark eyes, and they spoke British English. And immediately, I did not like them. (laughs) 
Where do you uh, go ahead? You can ask the question. Well, where do you think that uh, that prejudice <laughs> came from, <laughs> darling? It came from my heart. Hmm. I have no way to explain it. It was not rational. It was not logical. Those students were just different, and you see, that's the root of prejudice. Hmm. Is prejudice comes from our heart. And it's because we encounter people who are different from us. They look different. They act different. They speak different. They have a culture that's different. And I I have no way to explain it except that the heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? Who can understand it? Who can explain it? And I can't explain it looking back on that experience, but immediately I did not like the students who were from India. Now, as my college years went along, they were in my classes, and those Indian students were some of the smartest kids academically on campus, and guess what? They became my friends. Mm -hmm. I met students who were from Peru and Argentina, and also they were dark-skinned students, and guess what? They had straight hair, too. (laughs) And one of my very best friends was a student named Ruben Bocanegra. And he was he became one of my very best friends. But he was dark-skinned, dark eye, had straight hair. And I, Ruben and I loved each other dearly. And we hung out together a lot. And that prejudice that was in my heart because those students were different in appearance, it dissipated. It went away. Now, the question is, why did it go away? Well, two answers. Number one, I got to know them. Mm -hmm. And number two, I think the Spirit of God was active in my heart during my college days. And He was teaching me how to love people who were different. And I have to also admit freely that that prejudice was sinful. I, I, I I just want people to understand that prejudice and racism is a sinful thing. I don't want people to think that I am denying that racism exists. It does exist. I don't deny that injustice Mm -hmm. exists. It does exist. Mm -hmm. And 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 prejudice and racism is a sinful thing. It is a matter of the heart. I have observed and I have experienced irrational and sinful racial hatred between white people and black people but it goes in both directions. I've been the recipient of hatred on the part of black people. I have observed white people irrationally and illogically hating black people. I have felt the animosity of Middle Easterners, both Jews and Arabs, towards me, simply because they knew that I was an American. Yet, they would have given every last shekel that they owned to move to America. Hmm. Isn't that irrational? Yet at the same time, I have worshipped with Christians in India, in South America, in Haiti, in Romania, in Moldova, in Israel, and in Gaza, who loved Jesus and accepted me as a brother in Jesus Christ, we experienced unity of heart and oneness of spirit in the Lord Jesus Christ, despite racial, cultural, 
and language barriers. And I'm here to tell you that the worship was sweet. It was enjoyable. So here's a question, though. How how do you think you, you were able to worship so easily with people of different cultures? I think the answer lies in a scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 through 16, describes the divide that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, that division was was centuries, literally thousands of years old. The Jews and the Gentiles despised one another. The divide between Jews and Gentiles was centuries old, and every morning, pious Jewish men woke up and prayed, thanking God that they were not born a Gentile or a woman, Hmm. literally. But listen to this. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now he's talking to the Gentiles, and he's saying to them that you who were formerly far off, far away, by this division between Jew and Gentile, you have been brought near by what? By the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace. Jesus, Jehovah Shalom, he is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, the hatred, the prejudice. In his flesh on the cross, Jesus Christ abolished racism. He abolished prejudice. He abolished hatred, that inexplicable, illogical, unexplainable, irrational, matter-of-the-heart racism that people experience. Jesus abolished that in his flesh on the cross. The division between black and white, by comparison in America, is only 300 to 350 years old, but... Verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Never, ever underestimate the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to reconcile sinful men to God. Never underestimate the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to reconcile estranged husband and wife or estranged parent and child or estranged races divided by enmity or misunderstanding, even if it is centuries old. Never, ever underestimate the power of the preaching of the gospel. Isn't that what Paul told us in Romans 6, one sixteen? He said that he was not ashamed of the power of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Always remember the power of the gospel unto salvation. The gospel message is what transforms the life and the heart and the thinking and the practice of any individual. So how can you and I be salt and light in a decaying culture? Well, 
what we're asking is how do we transform our culture in America? Mm-hmm. Now, that's the question. How do we right. transform our culture in America? Well, it's the same way we eat an elephant. <laughs> One bite at a time. One bite at a time. How do we transform our culture? Well, it's just one heart at a time. The heart of the human problem, Miss Hannah, is the problem of the human heart. Mm-hmm. Again, Jeremiah seventeen nineteen: the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can understand it? It's deceitfully wicked above all things. And none of us can understand the depths of the depravity of, of the human heart. And the heart is spiritually dead, spiritually blind, and in spiritual bondage to Satan. And apart from the grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross, that heart will always be bound up in sin. Mm -hmm. It will be prone to have prejudice, racism, misunderstanding, and division between the races. And It's imperative that we understand that. Every one of us has a friend or a neighbor that is convinced that the problem in America is institutional or structural racism. And I'm here to tell you that nothing could be further from the truth. Racism is individual, not institutional. Mm -hmm. Racism is individual, not structural. And the cure is individual transformation, not radical structural change that leads to the overthrow of the existing order. That's Marxism. The Marxist creed says, remember, the goal is the revolution. Police brutality and racism is just the cause de jour, the cause of the day. Their ultimate objective is the destruction of the American way of life, our constitution, our churches, and our capitalist economy. So you ask me, how can we be salt and light in a decaying culture that is going to hell in a handbasket? Well, again, I say one bite at a time, one heart at a time. Hannah, I'm not responsible for the entirety of the American culture. I'm just responsible for the little circle of influence that God has given me. I'm responsible for my extended family. I'm responsible for my neighborhood. I'm responsible for the people that I work with. And God has given me the responsibility to share the gospel message with the folks that are in my circle of influence. And again, I say to our listeners, never underestimate the power of the gospel message to transform the lives of the people that are in your individual circle of influence. The, and, the other thing with you know that I'll comment on this concept because on on my radio show a couple of weeks ago when I was with Tony the the last week that we were I was there one of the last days we were talking about this issue and we had a caller call in and this person 
you know, wanted to say, well, I don't believe that people are racism, racist, but our system is racist and the institutions are racist. And, and that argument th that you were just discussing, but here's the problem with that, is that it allows us to slough off the personal responsibility right. that we have That's for right. what's the issues in our own heart. And That's we're right. able to say, well, I'm not racist. You are not racist. And we don't, we don't deal with the issues in our own heart. We just say the institutions are racist. And to that, I would say, well, the institutions don't exist if the people aren't there right. so it's you know at the at the end of the day you know if if this law or this procedure in this bank not law but this procedure or process in the bank is what you're saying is is racist well it doesn't it doesn't really matter if the person that's behind the desk isn't racist and isn't going to enforce it and isn't, isn't going to look at that and enforce it in a racist way. I mean, you could say it all day long. It really comes down to the person sitting behind the banker's desk that's right. and what they're going to do and what's in their heart. It's in their heart. Because the people are the ones who make up the institutions That's and right. make up the systems and make up the government. And here right. in the United States, it's we the people. And so if you're looking at the government and the institutions and you're trying to say, well, none of the, the people as a whole aren't racist. It's just all of the institutions. Well, the institutions, it, the institutions are made institutions, up of people. That's right. The institutions are made up of people. And at some point, we have to take personal responsibility. Now, I'm not saying that I actually believe the vast majority of the American citizens are racist. I don't, um, I don't believe, I don't that, believe that. And I know that you don't believe that. Nope. But if that's the argument mm -hmm. that you're trying to make, it falls apart when you get down to the nitty gritty. And see, I believe that the message of the gospel is a thing that we have to cling to, mm -hmm. that it's the power of God and the salvation, even though some say that is too simplistic. I don't believe that at all. I believe that the thing that we have to remember is that the power of the gospel unto salvation is true for the social justice warrior, for the black militant lesbian, for Antifa, and the white supremacist who waves a Confederate flag in his front yard, to your clueless neighbor who's totally unaware of social issues. For every one of these different categories, the gospel message is powerful to transform their hearts. Now, look at verse 14 in our passage. In verse 14, it says that he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing walls. We want unity. We desperately need unity between black and white and Hispanic and Asian. And only Jesus is the one who can bring peace between these disparate groups. More than that, the scripture says that he brought near, that we were brought near by what? By the blood of Christ who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity. What was the enmity? It was hatred. It was prejudice. It was misunderstanding. That in himself he might make the two into one new man. More than that, it says, because of the cross of Jesus Christ, I have prayed and worshipped with Arabic Christians. I have worshipped with Indian Christians, Haitian Christians, Hispanic Christians, and African American Christians without enmity or any division, with oneness of heart and great joy. Now, how was that possible? I'll tell you how that's possible. Because he reconciled them both in one body to God 
through the cross. Do you get that phrase? Through the cross. And by it having put to death the enmity, the hatred, the prejudice. The cross of Jesus Christ puts to death the enmity, the hatred, and the prejudice, and the racism. Just like the cross cures every other carnal passion, like envy, or lust, or bitterness, or anger, or unforgiveness. It doesn't matter what the carnal passion is that's in our heart. It's the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross that cures those carnal passions. Now, what's the biggest problem with anti-racism as it's constituted in our culture today? Well, I believe that the biggest problem with anti-racism as promoted by the social justice warriors and Black Lives Matters, is that it is law-based. It is not based on grace. It condemns based on skin color and indiscriminately includes entire swaths of the United States population in its condemnation, and it holds out no hope of salvation No hope of restoration, no hope of reconciliation, nor does it desire to. Its ultimate desire is division, not reconciliation. Because anti-racism is law-based rather than grace-based, its ultimate end is changing or overthrowing the existing order and establishing new laws or a new system, then enforcing the new system authoritatively. My question is, where is the love? Where is the grace? Where is the love? Where is the grace? We understand that the kingdom of God always grows by voluntary submission to the love and the grace of God. The kingdom of God always grows from the inside out Mm -hmm. and from the bottom up. The kingdoms of man are always imposed from the outside in and from the top down And it's not voluntary, but it's imposed by force, by the power of man. The kingdom of God, people willingly and voluntarily join. And they join because of the love of God and because of the grace of God. Whereas the kingdom of man, people are forced into it. They're forced into the kingdom of man. And it expands by law and by condemnation and by force and by involuntary submission. And the question I ask is, which kingdom do you want to be a part of? Which kingdom do you want to promote? Listen to me. The weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful for the tearing down of strongholds. And I submit to you that one of the strongholds in our culture today is the racism and anti-racism stronghold that prevails in our culture today. 
and the weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful for the tearing down of that construct that's promoted by the media and that's promoted by just about every venue in our culture today. Our only strategy is evangelism. And our only weapon is the truth. That is the truth of the gospel. And it's only the truth of the gospel that sets our hearts and minds free from the lies of our culture. Let me say that again. Our only strategy is evangelism. And our only weapon is the truth, the truth of the gospel. Because it's the gospel message that transforms individual hearts. How are we going to transform our culture? One heart at a time. And how are we going to do that? With the message of the gospel. Because the gospel transforms individual hearts. Mm -hmm. And like I said, we all have one friend or two friends who are indoctrinated by the lies of Mm anti-racism. And it's imperative that you and I lovingly and encouragingly share the truth of the gospel with that particular friend. Now, let me say what I've said in previous broadcasts. Folks that are captured by that stronghold often will not respond to facts or logic. They're only going to respond to the truth of the gospel. And it's imperative that you and I love them into the kingdom of God. And we share with them the truth of the gospel because the Spirit of God will capture their heart and mind and transform their heart. And logic will not win the battle. Rationale often does not win the battle. They only will respond to your loving them in the name of Jesus and sharing with them the truth of the gospel. And I would say to you, the gospel is like a lion. It doesn't need to be defended It merely needs to be released. The gospel is like a lion. It doesn't need to be defended. It merely needs to be released. You and I release the gospel into the life of our friends who are captured and blinded by the lies of this culture. And I promise you, brothers and sisters, that that gospel message will transform their hearts and their minds, and they will soon become one of us. And they will soon be transformed in their thinking because the weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful for the tearing down of strongholds. That may sound simplistic, but it is not. It is a spiritual weapon that God has given to us for fighting a spiritual battle. Mm -hmm. I thank you for listening to us today, and I pray that you'll join us again in a week's time when we'll be back to share with you more than medicine. Thanks, Dad, so much for these words. I think of Monique Dusen at the Center for Biblical Unity who says, the answer to racism is not anti-racism, it's righteousness. That's right. And that's a really great way to sum, out, sum up a lot of this conversation where we just have to lovingly win the hearts of our fellow man who are looking for answers. I mean, they are. They're looking for answers to the issues of the heart, but they're looking at, for answers in the world. And the world's answers are not going to be the 
they're not going to solve the problems. Yeah. It's it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ right. that's imputed to you and I that's that right. is what answers the issues, the sin problem of racism that we have. And thank you so much for that, for sharing with us today that important word. Go home and reflect on the issues of our heart and call ourselves and our fellow man to a reflection of what's going on in my heart and what can be rooted out, whether it's racism or whatever sin issue has a toehold in your life. That's right. What can be rooted out this weekend so that we can be more and more righteous and holy like he is. Thank you for listening to today's edition of More Than Medicine. You can follow Jackson Family Ministry on Facebook, Instagram, and on their website. Be sure to contact them via jacksonfamilyministry at gmail.com for speaking engagements and for book information. Join us next time for more than medicine.